Today we're reading from uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you might not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Before we get started, I just noticed there was a spelling error on the title. It shouldn't be no, it should not be K-N-O-W, it should be no N-O is what that should be. It should be, he will no wise reject us. It's an old English phrase that we will get into. It's from, it's from John Bunyan, and uh, it fits with this sermon that we're doing here. Last week, I was in First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And now, as Eric read for us, we'll be through in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Of course, the introduction today won't be as long as it was next week. We covered a lot of ground, but just to, just to get that flavor for what we're doing here. Last week, I think I drove home the point that we have a, an, an apostle, uh, the last remaining apostle. We can't forget that, that this is John, the one whom Jesus loved, as he would say. Not loved in the, not saying in that arrogant fashion, but the one that almost John with amazement that Jesus could love me, a sinner. This is the John who is now an old, an old man. 80 years old probably, if not somewhat older. He is at the end of his life. It, it's soon going to be over. He's passing on words of wisdom to, to his flock, to people that he has discipled to people that in this case are ones that are most likely not from a Jewish background, but from a more pagan background. We can see in this letter that he loves the people that he is sending this letter to. A Christian love for them. A a desire for the best for them. A desire that they stay, uh, that they continue to mature in the faith, that they continue in their own walk of sanctification, that they continue to imitate the Lord. That He doesn't want them to fall off the wayside. He doesn't want them to step off the path. He wants them to stay on the straight and narrow, to stay in the light of the Lord. That idea of light and darkness, the the black and the white, I mean, it's just so right there. The Lord is light. God is light. There is no darkness in Him whatsoever is what John told them. Reminding them that. There's no place for sin in and around the Lord. And so we build upon that idea today. The, the, the idea that the, the, the light of the Lord in the cleansing blood of Christ Himself will be our building blocks for the message today. And for a moment, I wanted to take a moment and pray before we go any further. Uh, Father, Father God, just uh, humbly come before you just to uh, ask for clarity of words, to ask that you are glorified, that your word is glorified, not man's word, but your word is glorified, that your word is clearly seen. What we are supposed to gather from this, how we are supposed to apply it, is clearly seen, God. For we can do none of this without you, God, without your work within us, God, that we would ask that you continue to do that through us, that the Holy Spirit continues to to instruct us in that way. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it it is with great trepidation that I approach these passages. I should probably say that always with trepidation I approach these passages. That always with great care that I approach these passages. But sometimes in the hurriedness of preparing a message, you 
forget about the fear that you should come to the Lord with as you entreat His Word, as you give it out to others. It is that reason why I'm so thankful for these words in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. They are words that should, uh, they should encourage us. They should give us strength. Uh, they should give us joy when we read them. Uh, because that's the manner in which John wrote them. To give that encouragement to these believers because life is tough. How is it possible? How could life not be difficult if you were to walk in the light of the Lord and darkness is all around you? Darkness is always pushing in towards those light spots that have been given to you by the Lord. How could it not be difficult? You can't throw a stick without hitting sin, right? And I don't mean that we're sin-free because it's not only is it around us, but it's within us. It's tough. The walk is difficult. John is addressing the difficulty of the walk right here. He says, my little children. My little children. Not in a derogatory fashion. But as his uh, spiritual progeny. As those that he's uh, worked with and raised up in the faith. Those that have been brought to the faith through the message of the Gospel that he has given. Those that he cares deeply about. Like a father would a child. Like a grandfather would a grandchild. My little children in a loving way that he just wishes to, to grasp them in his arms and just to comfort them in, these, in difficult times. To, to assure them of the salvation that they have. Hopefully we will find the assurance of salvation in these Two short verses too. But my little children, in, in, in a way of unity and of love and of, of Christian fellowship as he's talking to them. Remember the previous verses he, 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 he talked in, that, in, in those conditional phrases, if we, if we, if we. Now it's my little children. He's changing how he's speaking to them. My little children. And he says, I am writing. It is me, John. The John you know. This is me writing this to you so that you would understand. So that you would know the truth that I know. And he says this, using that Greek word, tauto, uh, this. Uh, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, what are these things that he's writing about? What are these things that are so important that he's writing about? Well, because we're only 11 verses in, it's somewhere back there that he's referring to. We could almost just jump back one verse and say, well, is he writing about the, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't think that's the phrase that a, a loving apostle would say when he says, my little children. No, I, I don't think that's at all. That, that isn't the, the entirety of the, these things that he's speaking of. I think we'll find that these things that he's speaking of are bookended by verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 1, verse 9. In fact, we could read those. We'll read those together without even reading the in-between because they grab the concept that is here. It says in, in verse 5, it says, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. God is utterly holy. He is the Holy One. None like Him. And then if we read verse 9, knowing that not only is God holy, but if we read verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing blood of Christ cleanses us from that unrighteousness. These are the things that John is speaking of. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that my desire is that you don't sin at all. 
that, that you don't step off the, off the pathway, even one little iota, that you, you don't stumble at all, that you would, li- that you would live a sin-free life, that you would perfectly imitate Jesus. Whereas it says in Romans 3, verse 26, that He, well, let's look at it. We'll go off memory. We'll go Romans chapter 3, verse 26. That you would not sin because His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That, that, that Jesus is both just and the justifier. That, that God is the just and the justifier, the one that justifies those who have faith in Jesus because of knowing these things, that God is light, that there is no darkness in Him at all, that He is utterly and completely holy, that you would not sin. I'm writing these things to you to know that you can have not only assurance that God is sinless, that Jesus is sinless and sin-free, but that you also know that He does forgive. That He is the one who cleanses us. That is His righteousness that we have, we that 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 we that is imparted to us. That is why He's writing these things. That if you, when you hear this letter read to you, as it would be in the ancient times, that the letter would be read out to uh, a, a group of people, a congregation, as it were to be that they would read that and they would consider and they would know that these things, all these things that He said before, those, those attributes of God that He said before, that God is light, there's no darkness. Oh, God is so holy that He, that, that he is so holy. Those reminders of walking in the light, the walking in the way that, that Jesus walked, to walk in ways that imitated Him. And that we could do those things and be, and be assured that, that, that His promises come true, that He is the forgiving God. That He will forgive those who ask for forgiveness. That He is faithful to forgive our sins. And He is faithful to cleanse us. And then because knowing that, because these things, these things I pointed to, that we are to be imitators of Him. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1. It says this, very simply, and we'll go into two, one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Uh, be imitators. That Greek word is the one that we get the mimic from, the idea of, or of a mime from. To be just like He was. To walk as He walked. To love as He loved. To to give grace as He gave grace. Imitate because you know of all that He has done. Not of what you have done. Remember the walking in the light. The walking absent of darkness does not gain us salvation with Jesus. We do that because of the salvation that has been given to us. We do it as a reaction to what God has done for us that we desire to be like Jesus. These things. We would say that that point one then, that the, the important part is here, is because you know these things, don't sin. Strive to be sinless as best as you can. As best as you can in a world where there's sin all around us. Strive to put to death sin in your life. Strive for sanctification. Remember, it says you need to practice these things. You need to work at these things. Knowing these things of who God is and what God has done for you when you are undeserving of it, that you should act, you should seek to be like Him and seek to be sinless. And to sin less. Now remember, John loves these people. John isn't, uh, this isn't a, uh, a fist in a velvet glove that John is giving. 
John is giving this as a message of love to these people, of, of deep concern for them, that they would, that they would finish the race, as Paul would, do, Paul would say, that they would persevere, that they would have their faith in Jesus and not in their abilities. Because he immediately follows that with this. In 1b of this, he has said that you may not sin. That's why he's writing this. And if anyone sins, and I'm going to stop there for a moment, and if anyone sins, some of your translations, I believe the NIV and both ESV and the NIV will both use but if anyone sins. I think it's a little, it's a little sharper when they use the and. But I, we, we can all gather what John is getting at here to his children, the ones he loves, his beloved children, those children in the faith that he has, those ones that he has unity with, the, the, these, these uh, congregants that might be absent from him that he's writing to for encouragement, right? And he says, and if anyone sins. I, I told you that I write these things so that you won't sin, that you will know the truth and that, that you will know the gospel and the good news and that because of that, you will not sin, but if you do sin, and if you sin, and if, if sin happens, we have an advocate. We have one that is there in our place. We have one that Greek term paraclete. You'll hear that sometimes in services, that Greek word. That, that one, that advocate, a, a, a friend, a defense attorney, one who stands up for us. We have this person for us. You see, because John wants them to know that it is not by their own ability that they were able to do this. It has to come from without them. It isn't, or I should say this, it isn't their own ability that saves them. It is their desire to be sin-free is because of them being saved. Focus rightly on Jesus. Jesus, we could say then, and as a second point, that Jesus is our helper. He intercedes for us. He testifies for us. Right? Because it says there that if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a, a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Three names for Jesus here. We have the personal name of Jesus as one. We have Christ as Jesus' name as God. And then we have the righteous. His characteristic. What He is. Right there. He says that this advocate, this paraclete, this defense attorney, this is the one for when you do sin, you have this one that is testifying on your behalf. And if you sin, you won't be able to stand and point to your other good works and say, isn't this enough? You need this Advocate. You need this Jesus, the One who intercedes for us, the, the One uh, who does it on our behalf, it would be here, that Advocate, Jesus, the one we know by name, Jesus, our friend and Savior, Jesus, the Christ, the God's Holy One, uh, the, the one begotten of the Father of all eternity, and Jesus, the Righteous One, the one who we are clothed in His righteousness, not in our own. The one who took on sin for our behalf, and He took our sin, our, our indwelling of sin, and gave us His alien righteousness. This is our advocate. This is that one, that paraclete, that one that says, these, this woman, this man is mine. 
The testimony is my testimony for this one. You see, John says to these little children, these these ones that are maturing along in their faith, he's saying, listen, don't sin. Because every time you sin, every time you step off the path, every time you choose your own way, every time, it, it not only is it disobedience, but it creates a barrier between you and the Godhead. It creates a division between your relationship with the Father. If we were to sit in a small group right now, and we were to talk about these things, and we were to talk about uh, even small sins that occur in our lives, uh, we would see that division between our relationship with God. We would see, depending on, uh, uh, depending on, on how, uh, on where you're at on the maturity scale with your with your Christianity, whether you're a new believer or or, or a long time believer, you would see times when you have sin and you have avoided talking to God about your sin. You have been silent about your disobedience to God. We could say in not so many words that, that John is desiring that they know that, 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 that this, is, this is a false belief. That immediately, and if you do sin, you have an advocate. You can turn right to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you testifying for me? And Jesus, because he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He would say, I'm always testifying for you. I'm always telling the Father that you're mine. When I say that you are clothed in my righteousness, you are always clothed in your righteousness. righteousness always clothed in my righteousness. John is writing these letters so that they would this letter so that they would know Jesus in this fashion. That they would seek to be sin free. That they would walk the straight and narrow. That they would look different than the world around them. But if they do sin, and if you sin, then trust and know that it isn't your sinlessness that saves you. It is this advocate, this paraclete, this Jesus. Jesus, the one we know by name. Jesus the Christ, the one from the Father. Jesus, the righteous. Not the righteous one, the righteous. The the embodiment of all righteousness. This is the one who testifies for us. Who stands in in that stead for us. Who says that this man or this woman is mine. Trust and know that this is true. That He is our advocate. We would would know the interesting part about this, this term advocate, we also see it. Jesus Himself saying that He's going to send the advocate. That He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the reason I bring this up is because there is an interesting thing that, 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 that is about what John is saying here. John in the, his gospel uh, wrote, well, let's look at, let's, let's look at John 14, 26. Remember, we always want to go to the Scripture. Uh, we want to look at the Scripture. We want to point to it and say, oh, that's where it is. 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Isn't it interesting that the triune God's provision for us spans both the earth and heaven? And by this I mean that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us who will, when we're reading the Scriptures, sometimes you feel that all overwarming that happens, right? Sometimes when we sin, we feel the, the immediate conviction because of it, because of the Holy Spirit working within us. We have that here and now. But what John is saying, it is Jesus in the heavenly realm is our helper there, right now. He is that, as we said last week, Hebrews 6.19, He is that anchor in the veil of the Holy of Holies, steadfast and sure that is unmoving. Right? This is the one that is there in heaven. We would see in 
Hebrews chapter 7, what is it, I believe it's verse 20, I want to say 25, where he says this, therefore he is able to save forever, and why don't I just stop right there? And we just walk out of here and just, and just embrace that, that he saves forever, his work is complete. Those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the Jesus, the paraclete, the the helper, the advocate, our defense attorney is always interceding for us. Even as believers in the moment, in the act, when we are sinning at that time, being disobedient to God, He is interceding for us. He is never absent from the intercession for us from the moment that we believe in Him as Lord and Savior. He is always there and never not doing that for us. Hear me on that. You have never had an advocate, a defense attorney, a friend like Jesus. You have never had anything like that anywhere at any time in your life other than Him. Because even when you don't feel it, you are saved. Even when you feel far from God in your, uh, in your emotions, Jesus is interceding for you right now. He is there right now for you. We spoke about this in Sunday school class. This is why the Bible is so important. Because there are times I don't feel it. I need to look and see in the Scripture and it says right there, it says He is interceding for me right now. That is our Jesus. Remember the the three names of Jesus. Jesus, our friend, who we know by name, who we can call by name. Who became like us. It tells us in Philippians that He became like one of us. So He can live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we couldn't die. That we have the ability to call Jesus our friend. Ezekiel said that the time would come, the prophet said in Ezekiel 36.26, that the time would come when our hearts of stone would be made hearts of flesh. That they would be opened to receive the Holy Spirit. That He would fill us with the Holy Spirit. That we would be changed and made new. And then when we have this, when, when, and now that we know we have that advocate, in your darkest times, in the foxholes, on your deathbed, that Jesus is praying for you right now. He will usher you into that kingdom before His judgment seat, and He will come from behind that judgment seat, and He will say, this one is mine, and take your sins away, and you will bask in the glory of the Son forever and ever and ever. That is the Jesus that John is talking about. That's the Jesus that John knows intimately. That is the Jesus that John is looking forward to seeing again. That is the Jesus that John saw before the cross, on the cross, and risen again, and ascended into heaven. And he longs that they know that and that they have the confidence in who this Jesus is. So, if the first point would be don't sin... And the second point would be because you have this great advocate, and because you have that great advocate, that should mean I don't want to sin at all. But I know I'm weak. I don't seek sin out, but man, it will find me at every single place if I'm not careful. And when it does, I have a friend in Jesus. Hallelujah is right. We have a friend in Jesus. A friend unlike any that we've ever had before. Our Think about it. God Himself is praying for you right now. He is interceding for you right now. The Creator of all that there is is interceding for you right now. Could you see John, if he was with these people that received this, he would say, I know you're 50 years old, but you're still my little child. Just come over to me. I want to tell you a story. An old, old story. A story that started before the foundations of the earth. I want to tell you this story. I want you to sit here right next to me. I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus. There's things that you might have forgotten. I'm going to tell you how 
Jesus became God in flesh. And Jesus lived this life that was unlike anything. And you know how I know it? Because I saw it. I lived it. And I saw it right there in front of my eyes. And there were times I didn't believe it. And then I saw Him on the cross, bloodied and beaten. And I couldn't believe it. And then I saw Him risen again. And I said, my God, my Savior. It was unbelievable. And He sat with us, and He ate with us, and He talked with us, and He told us what we needed to do. And then I watched Him go in the clouds, and He would say, you know the funniest thing about it? These, these other guys show up and said, why are you still looking at the clouds? <laughs> Weren't you given instructions to do something? Get to it. He would tell them that story. I can imagine just as a story as that, that grandfatherly you know, the, the other disciples never got to experience the old age, the gift of old age that John got. And it is certainly a treasure for those that are receiving this letter from him when they read this about Jesus who saves, Jesus who intercedes. Jesus, our friend, the Christ, the righteous, who's there. And so we, we've got this Jesus. We've got this Jesus who is, who is testifying about us, saying he is mine or she is mine. But you know, John knows that that idea, that, that idea, that one, that testifier, uh, that defense attorney, and I pray for God's forgiveness for even using those terms, but you know, trying to relate this idea. Uh, we trust that God takes these, takes these ideas that, that we, we try to find things that we can understand. Right? We, try, we, we don't want to be funny because this is life and death matter, right? Uh, we try to take things that, that we would know that we would recognize. Jesus himself did this when he was teaching, things that they would know and recognize. Uh, we use those terms so we can get an image in our head uh, about th this Jesus, but He is so much greater and so much more infinite than those things. You know, John says uh, in the later chapters of his Gospel, he says that the, that the entirety of all the books on the earth couldn't, uh, couldn't contain all the things that Jesus did while He was here. But John knows that it's not merely an advocate that Jesus is. And so then we get to our third section of this message, and we would say that in that, Jesus atones for our sins and restores our relationship to the Godhead. And we start with a conjunction. And. How many times do we use that during the day? How many times might an might a English teacher have yelled at you for using too many ands? You should use some commas instead of and, 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 and. But I thank God for the ands that are in the Scripture. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. We have this big word, not necessarily an easy word. It's in the Greek, it's halasmos. It's also where we get the hilasterion, which means the mercy seat. Uh, uh, this propitiation, He uses this term specifically. Uh, to uh, give clarity to what Jesus is, more than just testifying for us, He did so much more for us. Remember, He came and walked among us. In the first chapter of John, it would say, when you read that in there, it would say, you know, uh, well, we'll look at it. First John, or excuse me, the uh, Gospel of John, just show you where it's at. Uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Great verse. But that dwelt, there's, it might even be more accurately translated, He tented with us. Or even the other one I like even better is He tabernacled among us is what He did. The God-man. This Jesus came in like us. 
But this propitiation is, he, he says this, that he is our propitiation for our sins. It is to bring clarity to the, the advocacy that he does for us. Not only bring uh, clarity, uh, I should say he brings clarity to the advocacy, but it also brings the authority to his advocacy for us. You see, there's more than Jesus just telling a good story about who you are and that being enough. There has to be because God is righteous and God is just. There has to be more than just He's one of mine. There has to be authority behind that. Where does this come from? And this idea that Jesus is our propitiation, the placation of God's wrath, the appeasement of God's wrath is what it is. You see it so often uh, in, we would know it in school if we read some old, uh, old Greek stories, or we would have seen like uh, movies, like old movies like the old Clash of the Titans and stuff like that where we would see this idea of placating or appeasing gods to assuade their anger, to turn away their anger from us, right? It's a familiar term to the, to, to the Greek readers and those who understand uh, what that is, what he means by it, because remember way back when I write these things to you so that you would not sin? Well, these things, part of these things was God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. And we are sinners and there's darkness in us all around the place. We need a fix for that. Because God hates sin. Uh, Psalm 7.11 In the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 7.11 says there, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. God does not hear the prayers of the wicked. Indignation every day. He is righteous. Isaiah 26.21 For behold, the Lord is about to come out out from His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. And then Paul in Romans 1.18 that great chapter that tells us about how wicked the world is, how we seek after sin. Verse 118, where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God hates sin. Way back in, Gen- in Exodus, it said that. Uh, that, uh, that Moses conversing with God, that God said that no man can look upon me and live. Because God is light. We have darkness in and around us in all places. Something needs to happen. If I said at the beginning of this particular section, I said that Jesus is our atonement and corrects the fe- allows us to have fellowship with the Godhead, then something needs to happen for that Wrath to be appeased and set aside. You can look up when we're done with this. I certainly don't have time to go into it. You can look up also part of the term uh, uh, propitiation. Within that term propitiation is expiation, which is the removal of sin. Uh, And then the entirety of propitiation is the idea is that the, uh, the appeasement comes the removal of sin has happened. The appeasement of God is, God is placated and therefore we can have fellowship again with God. Jesus does that for His people. Jesus does that on the cross because He became like us. He tented and tabernacled among us. He was surrounded by sin at all times but did not sin. He willingly took on the robe of sin, we'll call it, for all those He would save. He became the sinful man nailed to the cursed tree. He became the one on that day when the the sky darkened and the angel of death came upon. 
the Spirit of God Himself, because no man can, no sinful man can look upon God and live, that 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 He passed before Jesus on the cross as the embodiment of the sin for all those He would save for all time. Where Jesus says that, why have you forsaken me? All alone at that moment that He dies and gives up His Spirit at that moment. He does the thing that we could not do. At that moment, He becomes the atonement that we couldn't give. He becomes the paschal Lamb that we were not. He becomes that example of the Lamb that is given in Exodus that we can't be. And He does it for all time at that moment. For all those He would save, He takes on an eternity of wrath against sin for you as a believer. That's what Jesus does. When He says, He is, He Himself is the propitiation. It does not say that He is the propitiator. He's not the one that that, that takes the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. Once and for all. That's why it's sinful when our Catholic friends, because we're going to have communion today, will say that this is the blood and body of Christ. We're re-crucifying it. He was crucified once. We do this in remembrance, not as an active, not as an active sacrifice is what it is. The sacrifice has been given. He is the one that has entered in that veil again, the Holy of Holies. At that time, this, this is, this is, this is the Jesus we know by name, the Christ we know as the, as God, and the one that is the embodiment of all righteousness. This is the one who went to the cross for us. And he is the one who says, he or she is mine. So when John connects that, the advocacy to the propitiation, then we see a clear picture of what the gospel is. Uh, Romans uh, 3.25. Now interestingly enough, and I hope you bear with me on this, I wrote this down very quickly, and I think I put it in the right place, so bear with me. Either way, it's going to be God's Word, and it will work for us. It'll work good in us. So look at Romans 3.25. And uh, these words are the same. Wow, there it is. Whom God displayed publicly, this is Jesus, as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. Jesus is that glorious atonement. And John saw it. John was a witness to it. He was there. My little children. Just a few short verses I'm going to tell you. And you'll know all you need to know about Jesus. The one and only true Savior. That He is our one and only hope. My hope is on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness, as the song goes. So, we we look at these where we would we'll do a, a quick review. We we said you know three points in this in these two verses that we would say in point one that God is holy. Therefore, we should seek to imitate Him and walk in the light. That we should practice and work at our sanctification. We should strive because of who God is and because we are His. Point two. And as a result, excuse me, and that point one, as, as a result, we should seek to not sin, right? Then point two would be if we sin, if we stumble on our journey, Jesus is, not only does He intercede for us, but He's interceding for us. 
this Jesus interceding. You know, not, not He interceded yesterday, He might do it tomorrow. He's interceding for us now. That should give us great confidence. We, we should have great confidence. My Jesus is there interceding and praying for me now. I don't depend on anybody else. I depend on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And when Jesus says that Jesus is doing this, Jesus is doing this. He's not like a friend of mine that might do it or might not do it. What a friend we have in Jesus, we would say that too. His, <laughs> in the salvation, our salvation is not dependent on us. Thank God it's not dependent on us. <laughs> Thank God. And then three, and then our third point. Jesus atoned for our sin and restored our relationship to God, to the Godhead. That broken relationship that, we, that was told that through the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 has now been restored through the work of Christ. And He is sitting at the right hand of the Father in flesh. Right? And in flesh Jesus went to heaven that John saw. A Jesus in skin went to heaven as John saw. And He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. That is the Jesus that, that atoned for our sins. That is the Jesus, because we would say this, that the that the stone of the tomb uh, was not moved so Jesus can get out. That stone was moved so that the women could look in and see that He was no longer there. Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? For He's risen again. Go and tell the others. And that Jesus, that Jesus who did that atonement on the cross, and we know that atonement was accepted, that God was placated, that God was appeased, that the work was right and good, and was worthy, and was truthful, and was just that happened on the cross, because He rose again. Because He walked again. Because He talked with them again. Because they could touch His hands and see that He wasn't a spirit, that He was enfleshed. My God, my Savior... That is who our advocate is. Your advocate is your God. Not an associate of God, but God is your advocate, is the one who intercedes for you right now, is the one who sits on the throne for you right now, the one who penetrates into the Holy of Holies for you right now. That is your advocate. The one who could do what only He could do in your behalf. Our Savior has been born for you. Right? This should then drive us to be more like Him. To seek to be holy as He is holy. It tells us, Leviticus 19.2, way back there in the beginning, Leviticus 19.2, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then, we find this so often in the Scripture. There, you know, we find uh, the book ending in the Old Testament, the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And then we see 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 16. Where it says this. Just bookending that. Because it is written, well, look at 15, it says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We should seek to be like that. This isn't, this isn't, uh, the, this isn't the, that is the sinful idea of seeking out perfection. But we should joyless, joyous, joy, seek out to be more and more sanctified. More and more righteous. Not self-righteous, but righteous because He is righteous. To look more and more like Him. To walk in love and grace as He did. 2 Timothy 2.24 2 Timothy 2.24 Let's say this. 
Second, sorry about that. Second Timothy two twenty four. The Lord's bond service must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. Verse twenty five. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. It's twenty six. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by Him to do His will. We should be that example. But my hope is that when hearing these words, these these short sentences uh, that John has given us, uh, I'm going to read them right now again. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And it says, and not for ours only, but also those of the whole world. This is not the idea of universalism, but the idea that there will be believers from all kinds and creeds that that, that will come to, to know and have the knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That His work is sufficient on the cross, not only for those that lived then, but for us that live now. It was once and for all at that time. We then should have... Uh, because of this salvation, we should be assured and be confident because our defense is in His perfect righteousness. And as we close, I'm going to read out of uh, from John Bunyan in his work, Come and Welcome to Jesus, which is where the uh, title uh, of this sermon came from. The Used in the Old English fashion, uh, I, He will no wise uh, reject us. Wise is Old English for a way. In no way will he reject us. And this is John Bunyan's words. Uh, oh, looks like about eight sentences here. And it's the idea of what a person would say to the argument against, uh, the, the argument uh, uh, that, they, that, that they can't be saved. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And it says this. The person would say, but I am a great sinner. Say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. That is the confidence we should have. It is all Him. It is all God. It is all the work of Christ. He is our Advocate. He is our atonement. He is our friend. He is our Savior. He is our defense attorney. He is the one we will see on one glorious day in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Glorious and heavenly Father, thank you for